Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Another addition to my uh, drunky McDrunkerson collection. Lettuce is a fine topping if you have got like nine things. Don't waste one of your three on we go. lettuce. Both of you probably could use a salad. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield. On ESPN Las Vegas. Silver 7, 77 cent beer night because the Golden Knights are playing. That's after 5 o'clock. Game 6, Golden Knights. Trying to stave off elimination. Can't believe we're here after uh, dominating in Game 1, but this is where we are. Montreal playing really well in the series. We'll break down the Montreal side, especially with Eric Engels from Rogers Sportsnet in about... 12 minutes. Adam Hill is here. Angel is alongside as well. Silver 7's on a Thursday. It's time for the three. Presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. Our rival at some point or the team that we point at and laugh at? Uh, not only Seattle, but the rest of the league and go, see? Not that easy to win coming out of the expansion draft. Seattle's made a move. Now it's got a head coach. Yeah, Dave Haxtall, who uh, has been with Toronto as an assistant. He was a head coach in Philadelphia. Not the most exciting hire. I know I saw uh, one of the big blogs out there just saying, like, how could such an exciting, fun team they're all so excited about make such a bland, dull hire? But listen, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter on hiring day. It matters how you perform and uh, how you how you do as the coach. And uh, we'll see what Seattle does. They got the expansion draft coming up, and then jumping into the league. Uh, I will say I I am very surprised um, how little of a Vegas connection there is with all of their hiring. Uh, I thought they would try to do everything uh, through Vegas and try to you know starting with Kelly McCrimmon and that's why you know Vegas made him the GM so he wouldn't go. Uh, but I thought they would just try to get you know every scout, every front office person, uh, somebody from the coaching staff. I thought that was going to be the route they went because they were just there. They just did it. But Seattle going their own direction. What's your gut feeling on how they're going to perform? I mean, it's hard to say without knowing the roster. So maybe they freaking hit a home run with the expansion draft. As we've mentioned, there are numbers out there for over-under point totals in what will be a full season. Season's going to start, is it October 12th? Sounds right, yeah. I don't have the date. Right? Like, yeah. they're doing the same thing the NBA's doing. Like, yeah. enough. We're not, there's no more babying. We're getting right back to normal. So this is going to be a very short offseason. Anyway, the over-under number on the total, 66 and a half, the last time I've seen it. Yeah, and I, I think... 66 and a half points. I think a lot of people, you know, that are Golden Knights fans kind of misunderstand what people say when they talk about how Seattle's going to come in. Um, and, and, you know, they say... Because people say, well, Seattle's not going to have the same advantages that Vegas had. Well, it's not that Vegas had rules that played in their favor. I mean, they, they kind of did, the way, the way it's set up, and Seattle's going to have the same rules. But teams learn from the mistakes they made with Vegas. Right. Uh, they're not going to just, you know, they're just going to lose a player. Instead of saying, here, take two players uh, in order to draft this person that we want you to draft, they're just going to say, yeah, take take a player from us. We're going to lose one player, and that's it. And so that's the difference. So I, I think it's going to be a much tougher climb for Seattle. Um, I'm sure that they saw some things Vegas did, and they'll try to, you know, emulate that a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, not that, it's not that the rules – aren't necessarily any different they're not it's just how teams approach it is going to be different and that that's where 
Vegas had the advantage that Seattle doesn't have. Uh, back to the series continuing tonight with a game six. Puck drop at 5 o'clock. Um, I feel some heat in the series. I'm liking it. I'm feeling the angst. A lot of anger from uh, VGK fans at, uh, at the Golden Knights side at times. But, uh, you know, let's be honest. Just like uh, all of Canada doesn't like Montreal and Quebec. Um, it's, it's cool down here not to like Montreal. And apparently Celine Dion, well, I mean, she's more a Las Vegan than being from Canada and Quebec. She's chosen her side. Sure. Us. 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 Are VGK fans going to be anti-Quebec with Flurry and, like, Nick Waugh on the, on the roster? It's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, but, yeah, the Celine Dion situation was weird the, the other situation. night. Well, what popped weird. up on the screen? Because when I saw it, I was like, wow, that doesn't look real. Well, and that's that's another aspect of this. I'm not sure um, what had happened. So they've, they've used a Celine Dion photo with, you know, Vegas gear on Ooh. many times. Ooh, okay. So it is real. Well, I don't It's not it, like Photoshop. It could be Photoshopped. Well, I mean, I, I do see her here. And, I mean, she certainly has donned the Golden Knights yeah. jersey, but then... That's also right next to a picture in the old days wearing a uh, Canadian's jersey. Hmm. She's from Montreal and lives in Vegas. I mean, it, it would make sense that she would represent both markets at some point on stage and, and around. And I don't know if they ever did a shoot with her, like, you know, year one. I mean, this photo, I've seen this photo going back years. So maybe year one they did a photo shoot with her. Um, or maybe they just photoshopped it. I, I don't know. But either way, this has been on the board several times in the past. But during Game 5, this photo of Celine Dion in Vegas gear pops up on the big screen. I immediately heard some Montreal like people in the crowd. There was a lot of them on Game 5 that are like, whoa! Like, it was almost like a, what? What's going on? <laughs> and then Twitter immediately started blowing up because somebody posted photos of it and said, what is going on here in Vegas with Celine Dion? I tweeted out right away. I was like, I've actually been inter interested in this. Like, I've wanted to know where her allegiance is live for the series. She's been incredibly quiet about it. All right, it. well, now now we know where she stands because she sent out a message today. Uh, first of all, it starts. Should I read in French? Sure. Do you want to do it? No, go ahead. All right, do it in French. Nah. Uh, my French last time was terrible. I got to sharpen it up. Uh, happy St. Jean Baptiste to all Quebecers. I embrace you and wish you a happy National Day, which, by the way, this is the French to English Google. You know, that's not really. Perfectly sure. translated. By the way, I have nothing to do with this photo, and you know what photo I'm talking about. Well, that's the end of Celine Dion in <laughs> Vegas. You've chosen your sides. Get out. Well, has she? Uh, she said, I have nothing to do with this photo, and you know what photo I'm talking about. Right. Well, she's saying I don't have anything to do with the photo. It doesn't mean that she's picking one side or the other. Mm, that's a good point. How about a definitive choice here? Maybe she's talking about some other. Maybe she's talking about that photo with the with the dominatrix and the candidate in New no, York. No, that's the photo going around. No, nope, nope. She is caught in the middle. I think she's very, she's screwed. She's got it. She's got to stay on the Montreal side. And I'm not going to get mad at that, but she's he can't be a Knights fan. Well, she's trying to be diplomatic, and yeah. you know why? She wants she wants to pick whoever wins in the cup. Oh. She's she's not she's a well. Smart the nice feelings from Montreal fans will last like three days, four days. If she just flips right back to the Knights, if they advance, well, she's not. But she's not picking that. She, there's no good feelings now. She's just saying, "Hey, I have nothing to do with that." But we'll see what happens when the final starts, hmm. and then all of a sudden it'll be, you know, Celine Dion in a Golden Knights jersey again. Did you try to read all the comments in French back at her? No. I'm interested to know where she stands, but once she's not making a stand, 
It, I, I don't like this, you know, trying to play both sides of the fence thing. Let us know. All right, you didn't have anything to do with the photo, so who are you cheering for? When, you know, when 5 o'clock comes, and actually 5.20, whatever it is, and the puck drops, who are you cheering for, Celine? Who do you got? She doesn't want to answer. Exactly. They're going to force her hand. Watch. Watch when the final starts. Whoever's there, she's going to be cheering for. And, heck, if she's trying to sell shows to old folks, she'll probably be cheering for the Lightning. Three six four eleven hundred three six four one one zero zero. Caller eleven right now. You got a chance to win tickets to the LV Ballpark for a concert this Saturday. It's the British Rock Royalty Show, first ever live concert at the LV Ballpark, Saturday, June twenty sixth. Yep, it's coming up. Under the Stars performing songs from the Who, Pink Floyd, David Bowie, Queen, Led Zeppelin, Symphonic, Spectacular. State-of-the-art lighting, video, lasers, tickets start at under 20 bucks. You can get them yourselves at thelvballpark.com, but you can win them here. British Rock Royalty Show this weekend at the Las Vegas Ballpark. 364-1100. Caller 11-364-1100. Nova Home Loans brings you the three. It's a refi raid at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Fired up here in Vegas as we're getting ready for a game six. Kind of hard to believe we're here, right? Everyone thought the Golden Knights were going to roll, but not the case. Eric Engels is a hockey expert from Rogers Sportsnet. This is pretty crazy that we're here. I did not expect this, but let's get to the news of the day, first of all. And that is, it looks like Robin Leonard is going to be in net for the Golden Knights. Yeah, I wouldn't consider that to be a surprise. I, I get the first part that you were talking about, but I think everybody would have anticipated that Robin Leonard would be back in, especially after winning game four of this series and especially with what happened in game five. Not that Marc-Andre Fleury is to blame, but you're going to go with the guy who last gave you the chance to win. And I, I think it's, uh, you know, Pete DeBoer opened a can of worms with this whole thing and he won the battle. Initially, you know, I think Robin Leonard was going to be forced to play his best game, one of his best games of his career in game four. And he came up with it because the Canadians had the same same template as they used to win game five. They were absolutely dominant in the game. And if not for Leonard, I think it's a very different story. So but I just think, you know, you win the battle, but you set yourself up for a really tough way to win the war. It was tough to go back to Flurry in the next game. I, th- I thought the intentions were good behind it, but I think he put both of his goaltenders in an extremely more pressurized kind of situation on Flurry's end to bounce back and prove that he deserved to be there to begin with. And now on Leonard's end, up against having to save this season, right, which everyone felt Golden Knights would never be in this position and the odds have reflected it. So just a ton of pressure on their team. There is even more on Robin Leonard. And I know he handled it well in game four, but it just feels magnified right now. Leonard's a real interesting guy to cover too. He uh, wears his emotion on his sleeve. Uh, He mentioned the other day, he's all over social media. He was saying, hey, thanks for ripping me. I think he was going mostly at the fans, maybe not necessarily the media. What what do you... What do you think of Leonard and and his, uh, I'm not going to say love of going to social media, but I, I feel like it's potentially damaging and risky. Uh, 
I just respect him for being who he is. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of my take on everyone in the, in the world, right? Like just be who you are and I'll embrace you for who you are. As long as you're not a terrible person or a racist or something like that. Um, you know, at the end of the day, Robin Leonard is being true to himself. And if he's trying to be someone else or something, he's not, it will make everything he does in his life, but specifically the performance on his job that much harder. I don't believe that him going to Twitter for motivation prior to the game had anything to do with him winning and playing the way he did. I do believe it did present the opportunity for him to give the middle finger to everyone afterwards. And that's, and for him to come out and say it, you know, he's different. He's not like me. He may not be like most of his teammates, but at least he's himself. And I, I like that. And the one thing I am wondering is if it did have an influence on the way he played, if it did serve as that extra motivation, I think if he were scouring Twitter right now, I don't think he would find anyone saying anything other than he should be starting this game. Uh, will that motivate him in the same way? I'm not sure. But like I said, I don't think it's a big factor. He's got enough to handle. He's got enough on his plate that that stuff is kind of ancillary. Eric Engels with us, hockey expert from Rogers Sportsnet. Let me tell you, if he's scanning Vegas followers, the split of fans on Flurry and Leonard has been borderline ridiculous. It, it's crazy how they've chosen sides here. I, I want to go back to a comment you just made about uh, be yourself. The fans were themselves, many of them, at the Fortress a couple of days ago and were booing the Golden Knights. I've seen a lot of reaction from outside the market saying, hey, those are terrible hockey fans in Vegas. What do you think about these guys booing, these fans, gals and guys, booing the Golden Knights? I think it's a welcome to the NHL. Like you finally arrived and and all grown up as a franchise in the NHL. Like uh, this is uh, age old. It's across sports. It's football. It's hockey. It's baseball. It's soccer. It's take your pick. It's NASCAR, whatever. You know, the fans pay a lot of money to be in those seats, to see their team perform and to see them rise to the occasion. And when the Canadians come in and play such a frustrating, suffocating uh, style and your stars who have suffered throughout the series, unable of ungluing and and finding a way to, to get the goals that they need, it's frustrating. It's frustrating for the players. It's frustrating for the coach. And it's definitely frustrating for the fans. And hockey's an emotional sport. And they brought the emotion to the situation, especially with the power play, which is where the booing came on, where the Canadians have been masterful on the penalty kill and the Golden Knights uh, are plundering deeper and deeper into the struggle that they've had on, on the power play because of it. And I, I honestly, I think the Canadians des- deserve more credit for it than the Golden Knights deserve blame for what's happening on the power play. But that said, you know, they've got all the pieces to be much, at least marginally successful there. Uh, It's much harder and it's such a key part of the game, right? Like you don't get as many power plays in a playoff game. And that's proven especially true in this playoff series. And if you don't take advantage of them or even take advantage of them to the point where you're able to create some momentum for yourself, uh, it's, it's, it's a huge disadvantage in the game. And I think the Golden Knights with the way those power plays have gone, have had momentum stolen away from them in those situations, let alone not been able to produce a goal or quality scoring chance. So I get it. I get the fans, and I think it's all normal. And anyone who's saying that they're bad fans because of it is uh, is an idiot. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll have to tell my uh, co-host, a couple of them, who think that uh, fans shouldn't be booing and that uh, people here in hockey don't have the – or people here in Vegas don't have the right to boo the Golden Knights because they don't know hockey. I, I think they've, they've come to an understanding of – a pretty good understanding of what hockey is, uh, which 
Let's get into a little X's and O's here. What's happening at the blue line? Because it just seems to be a, there's impatience on the part of the Golden Knights. They, they don't seem to want to dump it in. They're trying to skate through the blue line, and it ain't freaking working. You know, it's, it's a double-edged sword, especially against Montreal, because there's one factor that makes dumping the puck in exceptionally difficult to pull off as a strategy. You really need to focus on putting it in the right places, and the timing has to be especially good with the first four checker and, and where the location of the puck is going, but also with the second four checker so that that first four checker could force the puck into an area where it can be recovered. The thing about dumping it against the Canadians is Carey Price is back there, and this is a guy who plays the puck better than any other goalie in the position. It, 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 he is remarkable at it. He is great at disrupting that flow and that that kind of pressure. And it's tempting to want to, especially as you're trying to establish your own game. And I think I'm in Montreal. I, I understand I haven't watched every single Golden Knights game this year, but I've watched a ton of them over the last few years, and the foundation's been there. And I watched enough of them this year to say that, a huge part of their confidence where it comes from is their ability to manage the puck, to be able to play with it, uh, to be able to possess it and create offense that way. And it is a double-edged sword where you know you have to dump it and you're you're going up against Carey Price, disrupting it and the defense moving it fast. And you also want to establish your own game, which is playing with it and not dumping it and getting the controlled entries and setting things up. So, like, it, it really is a hard balance to strike. And the Golden Knights are on their heels in, in that regard just because of the way the Canadians have played against them with their tight back pressure, allowing the Canadians' defense to stand up at the line. I thought in game one, we really did see the Golden Knights establish their forecheck and create that kind of made it really difficult for the defense on the Canadians to move the puck up the ice, and that was really important. They did a better job moving out of their own end. Those are the adjustments I have no doubt that they're going to be focused on for game six. Uh, the question is whether or not they can execute it or whether they caught, get caught in between what they want to do in their own style versus what's being given to them by Montreal, which is not much of anything. What do you think of the job that Luke Richardson's done uh, in Ford to Charm? And, and game to game, what is the coaching dynamic in terms of prep? I was thinking about that today. And first of all, the coaching dynamic is essentially that Dom Ducharme has addressed the team through Zoom. But once the game starts, Luke is making the calls and he's in, he's liaising with Ducharme who's at home with a couple of points that are made. But essentially, he's got to manage the minute to minute stuff. What I was thinking about this morning is like in a sports world where we always talk about short sample sizes and not to draw too many firm conclusions about them. Uh, what would you say about the sample, the, the small sample of Luke Richardson's head coaching job? Like, I think there's a lot of teams in the NHL that are looking at it and seeing the way he commands uh, respect throughout the media and the way he treats. And I think Peter DeBoer does a great job with that too, by the way. But I, I think you know his discourse, his demeanor, how calm he is, the things that his players have said about him. If you're an NHL team out there looking for a head coach. I don't think the sample size is too small for you to be saying Luke Richardson is a guy that we should speak to. Uh, and I think it's not how he wanted, he would have wanted to have had this opportunity after coaching for four years in the American hockey league and serving as an assistant coach at this level. Uh, but in a lot of ways, it's strange how the path brought him to this point in time and what it's revealed about who he is. And uh, I, I have nothing but respect for the guy. I've known him for a, quite some time gotten to know him a little bit in Montreal we don't get to talk to the assistant coaches a lot but I've seen him outside the rink a couple of times he's he's everything his players say about him he's a great guy 
What's the uh, timeline on a uh, Ducharme return? As of right now, it's the 14 days from the day that he stepped into quarantine. Nothing has changed in that regard, and I'm not sure that it's going to. I know that the Canadians are negotiating with the federal and provincial authorities, with the NHL and their protocol team. Uh, perhaps their wish is that Ducharme can pass a certain amount of negative tests and get back before 14 days are done. But it really is in the background now, right? Like this, there's yeah. bigger fish to fry uh, in front of us just hours away, so... We'll see. How big a story was Kelly McCrimmon testing positive, uh, especially since we saw the images of the uh, the game on Friday night where he and George McPhee are sitting up there watching the game with no mask on? Well, I think anyone who, like, responded to that and was like, oh, karma's a bitch, like, <laughs> like screw those people, honestly. No one deserves to have COVID-19, whether they're double protected against it or not at all. Uh, this has been a nightmare for the entire world. And for anyone to be saying, you know, someone deserves that because they were sitting next to someone and they they were unmasked or this or that, like, I just think that's callous and gross, to be honest with you. Uh, How big of a story is it? Could have been a lot bigger if we saw more positive tests come about because of it. So far, knock on wood, we haven't seen any residual effect. Eric, I'll I'll break in. The other thing is imagine what if contact tracing had eliminated, you know, multiple Golden Knights from multiple games. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. it, it, thankfully, we haven't seen the residual effect, right? We yeah. haven't seen other positive tests come up, and hopefully that remains clear. And all I could say is I'm wishing Kelly McCrimmon all the best I, and Dom Ducharme, too. It's horrible for them to have to be watching this from home. Uh, you hope that they're feeling well. I know that Dom, Dom was reportedly feeling fine and no differences, and I hope the same is for Kelly, who's a little bit older, and... You know, it's this. This is such a big moment for both of them in their careers, and uh, I think it's very unfortunate and very unlikely too, given the protections that were put in place uh, and the bubbled kind of existence, especially that Ducharme has been living. It's it's a real string of bad luck here, and uh, I'm just I'll be really happy if it doesn't go any further than that. He's a hockey insider for Rogers Sportsnet, Eric Engels. Here on Cofield & Company in Vegas, let's wrap on this. The Vegas listeners don't want to hear this, but let's talk about what happens tonight in Montreal if they win game six, the series is over, they're going to the Stanley Cup final. I know the fan base there is rabid. They're crazy. Are we talking about good fun on the streets or, you know, we're going to have police out there trying to calm everyone down? Uh, Both. (laughs) Uh, And let's remember it's the Quebec national holiday today. So. It's a, it's a big day. It's a big day here uh, for the Canadians <laughs> to even be playing on this day is crazy. I don't know if it's ever happened. It, it hasn't ever happened before that they've been playing on this day. Um, just like it's never happened before that they'd have a chance to win the Clarence Campbell uh, trophy. Uh, just like everything about this pandemic, it's absolutely nuts. I do believe that if the Canadians continue to play the way they have played uh, in this series, and specifically the last couple of games, um, they're going to have as good of a chance as they could possibly have to move forward. Uh, I expect Vegas is going to play a better game. I expect that Price and Leonard are going to be up to the challenge, and uh, I can't wait to watch it. You know, and if it if it comes through that the Canadians are able to do it, and everyone can kind of breathe a sigh of relief and enjoy the weekend instead of going back to Vegas for Game Seven. Um, it will be something special we've experienced in the city, something more special than we've experienced, I think, in general as Montrealers uh, for 28 years. It's, uh, 
it's a really unique and interesting situation. And uh, I think everyone in this town, um, you know, all the people that have lifelong fans of this team, but also an entire generation that have never seen them this far in the playoffs are probably crossing their fingers and saying their prayers and doing all the strange rituals that go into it. And hopefully yeah. they'll celebrate responsibly. And I know the police have done a pretty good job throughout the other rounds to ensure that we don't have a situation where people are lighting cars on fire and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Great spot, man. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. There he is, Eric Engels from Rogers Sportsnet, one of the hockey insiders. On the way back, we'll hear from Vegas Golden Knights coach Pete DeBoer and some of the players and They'll make it clear there's a word of the day going into this big game six tonight. The phone lines are open and we want to hear from you. Call 702-364-1100 and tell us what's on your mind. It was a year where they were up and down, sometimes really good, sometimes not so good. So I don't think anyone would have seen six weeks of this kind of caliber of hockey that they're playing. And it's all come together for them at the same time. You think about they're counting on Carey Price to be great. Well, he's been that. They're counting on the veterans to step up and be really good. Well, Weber and Petrie and Stahl and Perry, they're all being really good. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company. Mike Johnson with uh, TSN talking about how everything's coming together for the Canadians. And, yeah, I mean, they're firing on all cylinders on all fronts. And we'll talk about the young guys in just a couple minutes. Pete DeBoer dealing with the media. Felt like the uh, the word of the day with uh, DeBoer and the players was patience. A lot on patience. But there's also the motivation of getting everyone to bust their ass because uh, at times it, it didn't look great in the last game trying to chase down plays after turning the ball turning the ball turning the uh, puck over uh here's pete DeBoer getting a question from a long question guy about motivation and urgency listen i know you don't have to go to mark stone and say hey we need to go from you he clearly realizes he needs to score all those guys do i know you don't need to tell your team this is an important game they know it's an important game how do you walk the line between as a coach setting the right tone in, in areas like that but without being Captain Obvious and walking in the room and saying, "Hey, boys, we got to win tonight," what, how do you coach something like this? Well, I mean, you, you you don't you don't point out the obvious. That's the the end game is what you're pointing out. You know, for me, it's the steps. How do we how do we get the result we want? It's the the steps and the and the detail uh, between where we are now and 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 getting that result. You get it? Yeah, we got there. We did. Took a while. Sure. Uh, I mean, you get, and you get what he's talking about. What, I, I forgot part of the question. It was like 12 minutes ago that it started, <laughs> it started playing. Um, I just feel like, I feel like some media members, and uh, believe me, I get caught in long questions. I just did at times during the convo with uh, Eric Engels. But I think sometimes guys are afraid to just ask the question. Like everything has to be set up so you don't get yelled at. Like you're not going to get yelled at. And if you get yelled at, no big deal. Yeah, I, I, I think – and that's what it is. You don't a you don't want to sound stupid. Mm. Uh, you want to overexplain yourself. And listen, I've I ask questions like this every day of my life, and and um, that's part of it. I think you want to you want to act like you know because you don't. What you don't want is to say is like you don't want the question to be Pete. Like, what do you tell your team knowing tonight your your backs are against the wall? And you're like, that's what we tell them. The backs are against the wall. What kind of dumb question is that? Like, you want right. to you want to you know 
you want to make sure that you make the person understand that you know the answer, but it's just a whole thing and it's a whole process. And I think that we should learn to not worry about sounding silly. Just understand that they also know that you're just asking a question, but you do open yourself up to be you know attacked back. So it, it's a whole weird thing. More Pete DeBoer. Obviously, last game didn't go the way you guys had hoped. What are the keys to getting to your game quickly tonight? Well, I think just do what we've done all year, which is, uh, you know, rely on our uh, foundation and our principles and, you know, don't get impatient and don't get outside our structure. I thought the uh, the word of the session with the players and DeBoer was impatient or patience. Yeah, and, and I you get it. Yeah. But at the same time, like, no, no patience. There's 60 minutes left in the season if, if it right. doesn't happen. So you, you understand, but they, you also understand that they know that. They know that, that, you know, how important this is. And if they're not, if they don't figure it out tonight, there's no need to have patience because you can have a whole offseason to think about it and worry about it and get it together for next year. Um, but you, you, you have to know going into this game, you know, we kind of referenced this in the, in the, in the beginning, but you can't, you're not going to just tear up everything that you've done and just say all right let's let's come up with some new plan like let's let's be a different kind of a team today like you you really can't do that right i mean you have things that have worked for you all season you have little tweaks that you can make here and there but you can't start over you can't first of all you, you can't get new players you can't get a whole new system like you you've got to understand that over the course of a long haul these things have worked for you and you got to figure out a way for them to work better again tonight they've got to eliminate mistakes and when you make a mistake, you got to freaking bust your ass to get back into the play. And we saw multiple times in the last game where, you know, guys were behind the play uh, because they didn't go, you know, as hard as they could. And I don't, I'm not a question effort guy, but it's just, you know, whether you know hockey or not, you can see how the plays develop and you see second man in, third man in, getting the finish. Now, Mark Stone ain't going to pay the price for that. He's, he's going to be out there. He's a the captain. Is that part of the reason why Holden out Hagen? Seems like it. And again, we don't know that for sure. It's what it looks like based on how the rotations were going this morning. Uh, so you would expect that that happens. Nick Hague on the, or excuse me, uh, uh, Nick Holden on the first goal. It was it was pretty bad. It, you know, he got he got beat pretty bad, and um, you can't have letdowns like that at this point of the season. And you're right, like Mark Stone on the last goal. A lot of questions were asked, and you know, Mark Stone is the captain. He usually speaks after every game. He doesn't have to. He didn't speak after last game, and you know it was kind of called out to Pete DeBoer and said, "Hey, what do you say to Mark Stone on that third goal? Who looked like he wasn't really giving his full effort after a turnover?" And Pete DeBoer had an easy answer there. He said, "Hey, who was good today? Like, <laughs> tell me the guy who was good. If you want to pick on Mark Stone, uh, list one guy who played well." Uh, and so, you know, that was an easy answer. But certainly, it was pointed out, and everybody knows what happened on that goal and, and Mark Stone is not going to be benched for this game but it looks like Nick Holden is and uh, you get Nick Hague in there and you know I think there's a couple of things I, I would expect at least maybe to see him a little bit on, on the second power play unit and uh, take advantage of that you know rifle he has as a, uh, a slap shot from the blue line uh, we'll see if they mix that up a little bit and and get him in there but you know Nick Hague doesn't have a whole lot of experience but he hasn't played in the series maybe that's a the little jolt that they need, bring that, that youthfulness. We, we talk about on the Canadian side. Some of the veteran players that they have have talked about, they're rejuvenated by all the young guys that are in there. Well, Golden Knights have a couple of young guys too. Get one of them in the lineup. 
Golden Knights games, and 77-cent Bud Light bottles? Silver 7's Hotel and Casino has you hooked up. The odds are quickly stacking against them, not only because Chris Paul is coming back, but now you're still without Kawhi Leonard, and Marcus Morris is banged up. This is going to be a huge, huge task. If the Clippers are going to repeat this whole coming back from 2-0 down, uh, they're really going to have to earn it this time around without Kawhi Leonard. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. You hear writer Om Young Masuk on Freddie and Fitz talking about the uphill battle the Clippers have. Another game on the way. Adam, what sort of, uh, what do you have to go through now to get into the Fortress for VGK games? Anything? You guys are all clear? Do you even have to show a Vax card? You don't have to get tested anymore. You don't have no. to show proof of negativity, right? No, it's a separate entrance. Uh, UFC now, uh, Vax card, no mask, which is different. And okay. the people that, if you see people wearing masks, it's because they didn't submit a Vax card. So I wonder what it's like to get into Staples. La Murray covers the Clippers for the Athletic. How are you, buddy? Man, I'm feeling good. It's uh, it, it's good to be back in L.A. after the furnace that was Phoenix, Arizona. So yes. Yes. Uh, we're, we're going to see uh, if it's a fun night or a funeral. Uh, what do you guys have to do as writers to get into the arena? What do you, there's still a couple of steps that I think we don't have to go through anymore here in Nevada. Yeah, we got, we, we've got some steps, man. Uh, actually, right now, I'm on location just outside the Staples Center okay. in one of the parking lots because me and several other uh, writers are trying to get make sure that we have access to the in-person press conference room where the coaches uh, will be pre-game and post-game and where players will be at post-game. And that process is basically you have to not only be fully vaccinated, but you also have to have a rapid test, which the NBA has been trying to set up uh, starting this round, the conference finals. So I went through it for the first time, game two for Phoenix. And that's it's one thing in Phoenix. It's a different process here in L.A. It's a little bit more convoluted. So, uh yeah, we're all, as we're trying to get ready for the most important playoff game a lot of us have covered here for this team, uh, where we're also trying to do something new as far as access. And we can't even complain about it, you know? This is a blessing to get to this point after the year that we've had. Uh, obviously, basketball is uh, what's important, but I, I did want to follow up real quick. Like, was it How different and how weird was it to have a live presser again? It, it's, it was something we took for granted for so long. Well, look, for someone like me, I just started covering the team again as a, as a B-Rider for the Athletic in January. I had covered the Clippers in a previous era back in the Clipper blog, so shout out to everyone who did Clipper blogs back in the day. Uh, but once I joined ESPN as an editor, my time around covering teams decreased every single year to the point where I wasn't covering anybody on site with any regularity for the 2019-20 season. So now you have me seeing the coach that I've been covering on Zoom all season for the first time in person this past this, this week. So it's been jarring. It's like, yeah, I'm a real person. I'm right here. <laughs> you know, you're looking guys in the eye again and you're, you know, you're, you're literally holding yourself accountable while you're trying to hold them accountable. And that's a different interaction. It's the same thing. When you go through your daily life and you're talking to people, it's different. A text is different from a phone call. A video chat is different than meeting somebody sitting down and having coffee or whatever. So 
it's uh, for for me. They're seeing me in person for the first time. You're like, oh yeah, Law Murray's a real person. <laughs> Interesting. Well, we we saw what happened at the end of the last game in in Arizona. How much carryover does that have? How how easy is it for the Clippers to bounce back from losing that way? Oh, uh, we're about to find out tonight. I think it's going to be hard because yeah, they've been down two zero before. When they lost game two against the Mavericks, even though that was at home, it was still like, okay, they didn't play well enough to win that game. Kawhi was great, but they didn't play well enough to win that game. Uh, When they lost game two against Utah, the Jazz were blowing them out. Now, the Clippers made a huge comeback and erased a 21-point second-half deficit, but all that energy it took to come back, they didn't finish the game because the Jazz responded right away with, their final 14 to two runs. And so you're thinking, all right, you're not that close. The Clippers had a one point lead when Paul George went to the free throw line. And they had that one point lead because of all the things George did in the minutes leading up to that spot. And George was great all year at the line. He misses those two shots and the Clippers still got the ball out of seven over hands. They still got a missed corner three from Mikhail Bridges. They still had to just defend one play for one second. And they gave up the alley-oop that will be, I mean, you're going to see that play for 50 years. So it is, I will always say it's tougher to lose a game that you should have won, that you basically had in your hands, than it is to overcome a blowout. Uh, And just mentally, emotionally, and at this point, especially for someone like Paul George, physically because of the minutes that he's told over the course of this postseason, it's, it's, this is going to be the most difficult game three that they play, and we're going to find out if they have what it takes to overcome it. If they do, watch out. Law Murray covers the Clippers, getting ready for uh, game three down in L.A. at Staples Center. Uh, Chris Paul back for Phoenix. How big of a deal is this? It's a huge deal. Not even because of Chris Paul. I mean, look, Chris Paul will basically eliminate the Antoine Moore minutes, you know, Everyone's going to look at Cameron Payne. It's like, oh, Cameron Payne's not going to start anymore. Well, yeah, that's true, but Cam's going to play plenty. And Cameron Payne, I think, has been the most impactful player in this series for two games. Not Devin Booker, not DeAndre Ayton, but Cameron Payne, 18 assists, one turnover through the first two games of the series. If Chris Paul did that, you wouldn't have blinked. You know, if you would have just given the numbers and not told anybody who's playing, who's been available you would have said, oh, yeah, that, that was Chris Paul. No, that was Cameron Payne. So, I mean, now you have a situation where Chris, regardless of what he looks like after the layoff, you know, he hasn't played since game four of the Denver series, and that was two weeks ago this Sunday. You know, now you got a situation where Cam's back in his normal role as a backup. Devin Booker's back in his normal role as a primary scorer instead of a primary ball handler and table setter. Um, you know, a role that he killed in game one with the 40-point triple-double with only two turnovers. But the next game, the Clippers adjusted, and Devin scored half that with seven turnovers by himself. And then you've got DeAndre Ayton, who, as good as he's been, he went the entire second quarter without getting a single field goal off. Now, I don't think you're going to have that with a guy in Chris Paul who does a, such a great job of table setting, understanding who needs to get touches and win. Uh, and obviously, Chris has been in L.A. while in health and safety protocols. He didn't have to travel like everybody else did from Phoenix. And obviously, he played for the Clippers. It's a huge game for him. It's a huge spot for him. If the Clippers can match that, 
then again, they're in a spot where they're in the series. But if they can't, then the series is essentially over. You don't want to be down 3-0. So Chris changes the series in a major way for both teams. How much adjusting do the Clippers need to do? I mean, we just talked about it. They had that game one. They should have won game two, so you don't want to change a whole lot. But when you're down 2-0, there's probably a tendency to want to change a bunch of things. Yeah, I, all I can say is I think Paul George said it best at the end of game two. If they would have held on and won, we're not talking about adjustments. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, not in terms of what more do the Clippers need to do. Honestly, the Clippers, they – they, it's not like they got blow, blown out in game one or game two. They kind of understand what they need to do. I think they played a better game one and game two against Phoenix without Kawhi Leonard than they did games one and two against the Jazz or the Mavericks with Kawhi. So I think they're there. They just need to execute better within what they already understand they need to do. And I will say that the first thing that needs to happen is they got to make it harder on Cameron Payne. They got to make it harder on the primary ball handlers and court turnovers. Because if you're going to load up on Devin and then leave Cameron to just blow by guys on a regular basis, then it's going to make things harder on the Clippers' offense. The Clippers need to execute better offensively, but sometimes that's just a matter of making the shots to create and to move the ball better. So I expect to see better ball movement early. I expect to see guys playing a little bit looser and just executing better. Again, whether you win by 1 or 31, that's all that matters because if you lose by 1 or 31, it's a wrap. Well, Murray covers the Clippers. He's up with Cofield and company out in the Staples parking lot right now. We'll let you go here in a second because we know you got a lot going on. Uh, I was looking at some bet suggestions for the game, and I saw one person suggest that uh, Zubats could have a pretty big game, at least uh, rebounding-wise, over under is seven and a half rebounds, which uh, I wanted to ask you, are they going to go big, small? What do they do? Who gets more time, you know, playing that five? I would expect them to stay big tonight. And because, and, and the main reason for that is because it's the Andre Aiden. This isn't the Mavs, the team that, you know, their best big man, Chris Porzingis, is not a, a great post option, high center of gravity. You can push him out. They don't, they don't want to give him touches. You know, they use him as a glorified floor spacer. they not playing against Rudy Gobert, a guy who has no post game at all. That's not a slice of Rudy. It's just reality. The Jazz don't post up Rudy. They use him the screen for shooters and ball handlers. DeAndre Ayton is a threat. There's a reason why Nicole Jokic signed a jersey for that man. There's a reason why all the big men that the Lakers signed it didn't matter. DeAndre dominated them. You know, this isn't the series to be starting small and playing small for 30 minutes. Uh, if anything, you got to flip that. You, you probably need to stay big for 30 minutes. So, Boo's going to be out there. He's got to be better. He's got to be more physical. Uh, he actually had stretches of success. There's, again, there's a reason DeAndre Aiden didn't have a second quarter field goal with him. And that's, that's where it's going to be. I do expect Nicholas Platoon to play more tonight. Uh, but as far as Boo, Boo is a. Uh, the biggest reason why the Clippers improved defensively post-All-Star break. Well, he's got to improve defensively tonight for the Clippers to have a chance to get into this series. You think we see a super physical game again? It seemed like the Clippers wanted to kind of muck it up, and then you saw you know, a frustrated Cousins at, you know, in, the, in the fray at the end of the game uh, pushing around Booker. Yeah, we're going to get a physical game. Again, this is an elimination game for the Clippers. So 
you basically have to put everything out there tonight because you lose, and again, it's essentially over. So we're going to, yeah, expect a Clippers team that is down to their last chance. You should see that at the very least. Law, good spot. Good spot, and uh, enjoy covering uh, in person. That's uh, very cool, and we'll talk to you soon, okay? All right. Thank you so much. You can follow him on Twitter at uh, Law Murray, the NU. Covers the Clippers for the Athletic. Yeah, that uh, the play where uh, Booker got his face busted open. Kind of typical. Yeah. I don't think you're going to see you know, blood all over the, the court. but Playoff basketball. Well, well, especially when your your team is hamstrung and you don't have all your guys. Then you got to kind of make it ugly. Sure. And the guy that's missing is a, is a big loss. No question. You know, we didn't ask. I'm, I'm tired of asking. Like, he's out. Do we have to go game by game? Are we doing hockey here? He's day to day? I don't think he's going to be ready for the start of next year. So I think Why, he's if he's got a torn ACL? No, he's yeah. not going to be ready. Yeah. Well, I mean... Why would you risk it, right? I mean, he's gonna—he's he's probably gonna be out until well into 2022. To play along with the theme of the day from Kevin Durant, maybe he doesn't even get surgery and he recovers during the season next year. That's oh boy. great stuff that he's well, bringing up. Uh, we'll get to that story, Kevin Durant. We talked uh, yesterday about what Scotty Pippen was saying about Kevin Durant. I brought it up. I'm like, Scotty, I don't think you should go here, man. You got a lot of uh, bad marks on the resume. Great player, but you know people are gonna come at you. And KD came at him. Anytime the Golden Knights are on TV, watch the game at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s and grab your 77-cent Bud Light bottles.